Good morning. Welcome to Grace. It's good to see everybody as you're coming in. I hope that you've got a bulletin and you'll be able to follow along. There are several things we'll share with you announcement-wise in just a moment, but let me begin, if I can, by reading the silent meditation. This morning we're asking you to read it with us. So I will read the question if you will share with me in our question as we meditate. It says from the question from the Heidelberg Catechism, what is your only comfort in life and death? That I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior Jesus Christ, who, with his precious blood, has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head, yea, that all the things must be subservient to my salvation. And therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life, and makes me sincerely willing and ready, henceforth, to live unto him. Welcome. And as our desire this morning, as you come to worship with us, that you will find that peace and solitude of your life being in Jesus Christ. If you're visiting with us this morning, it's a special day. Pastor Nick will be bringing us the message. And uh, then after the service, let me say this, the same format as we did before. We're just trying to be respectful to those who are teaching and involved. Many of you already know Nick. We understand that. But many of you have never had a chance to ask him questions or things that you would like to know about ministry and his background. And so... After the service this morning, those of you who are teaching or going to Sunday school, that's fine. You can still go to Sunday school if you'd like, but we'll have a question and answer time for Nick here in the sanctuary. And then after Sunday school, for those of you who went to Sunday school, we'll be set up already in the fellowship hall. For those of you who went to Sunday school, if you would like to have questions for Nick or things that you would like to ask him. So we're going to do that this morning so that you have a chance to talk with Nick. If you haven't had a chance to get to know him yet, he's been here, gosh, six years, and uh, he's just now starting to do things. So we're, it's been a long process, but we're ready uh, to have him. Isn't that bad? I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. But we're excited uh, to do this today. So please stay. Please have an opportunity. More importantly, next week, we will be voting, and we're doing this according to the BCO and our presbytery. So if you've been asking why we're doing this, if Nick were to candidate at another church, uh, just like we did when we came here, he would be asked to preach. He would be asked to go through questions and answers. And then normally you would have a week to pray about things and then come back and vote. So uh, we're trying to give Nick the same experience, though he wants to be here and a part of our church, that he would have if he were to go somewhere else. And so... We appreciate your patience as we work through it. You'll also see on the back of the bulletin, there are a few other announcements that are there in the bulletin. We'll let you read through those. Uh, we appreciate everyone who's been helping in our Sunday school. I know summertime is coming, and so we'll have a lot of people traveling. And so if you're willing to sub or help out in the Sunday school classes, please let us know, uh, because we do want to give people a break. And actually, it was our prayer that we would have assistants that would be willing maybe even once a month in the future to fill in so that our teachers can have a break. Um, they faithfully prepare each and every week, and so it's nice to be able to give them a break. Uh, as for prayers, let me just uh, share with you briefly uh, the prayer requests on the back. We will remember Bill Bavard. They have shared out publicly that uh, he has been diagnosed with cancer. Uh, they've been working through a process for a period of time, but wanting to wait for all the tests and everything to come back. So we do want to remember him. We also want to remember... Uh, Sarah, again, she is back in the, uh, the hospital, and so we want to remember her. And uh, also, we have Nancy Moriarty still over in Poland or the Ukraine region, still serving faithfully uh, in missions there. So we have lots that are going on in our church. We appreciate when you share those prayer requests. We take them seriously. We just ask that you would help keep us updated as we go along as well. So we appreciate that. I know summer is fast approaching for many of you. The days are beginning to change. Plans are coming up. Uh, please keep us informed, and we will be glad to help minister to you through the summer and your travel plans. And if you'd like to take your pastors with you somewhere, let us know. Uh, we're always willing to go. 
Let's take a moment and pray. And if I would invite you at the end of the prayer, if you would join me in the Lord's Prayer, you'll find it on the inside cover if you need it of the red hymnal. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful again for another day. Father, another Lord's Day. Father, we have realized for centuries now the debates over what the day means and what the day is for. Lord, we're so thankful that as you created this world, you didn't create a rest for yourself. Lord, we learned through scriptures that you created a seventh day of rest for us, that it would pattern our lives, that it would become known in the commandments that you give us, that you're not a God who needs rest. You're not a God who sleeps. You patterned it for us. And so, Lord, I would pray that you would help us as we understand the truths of Scripture, that we too would pattern our lives for a time of rest, for a time to be able to meditate and to consider all the things that you've done for us and what you're doing about us, around us, and for us. Lord, it's the times that we can gather together that we realize it's only in this place the place that you've prepared for your body, to gather together to use our gifts that you've given us, how you've equipped us to serve one another and to encourage one another, all the more as the day nears. Lord, I pray this morning that your spirit would move within our hearts as Nick leads us, that we would be steered to the truth of understanding what your scripture means, and most importantly, help us to apply it, to take it into our community, and to help serve others as well. Lord, all this we know is given to us by grace. We haven't earned it, we don't deserve it, but we know because of your son, Jesus Christ, we can boldly come to the throne of grace and pray as you taught us, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debts. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If you would please stand if you're able, as I call us to worship this morning. Uh, it is responsive, and so I'll read the light print if you'll join me in the bold print together. From Psalm 92, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. seated for just a moment as we keep your bulletin out. We'll share together that which we are working through this year as we go through the catechisms in the Westminster Confession here, the larger catechism. I'll read the question if you'll join me as we together proclaim our faith from our fathers of the Confession of the Westminster. The question was asked, how did God create man? After God had made all other creatures... He created man, male and female, formed the body of the man of the dust of the ground, and the woman of the rib of the man, endued them with living, reasonable, and immortal souls, made them after his own image in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, having the law of God written in their hearts, and power to fulfill it, and dominion over the creatures yet subject to fall. And because we are subject to fall, we also know that we come to him daily. We come to him for forgiveness. We come to him to share the times that we have fallen and failed. And so let me read to you for just a moment before we pray our confession of sin together from James chapter 4. Listen to this passage from James. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly, to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Join me as we pray together our confession of sin written for you there in the bulletin. Eternal God, we confess that often we have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. We have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And the assurance of pardon uh, comes throughout many, many passages. This morning from Micah chapter 7, it's written there for you. Let me read it. As we know, when we come to God and ask for forgiveness, we find the assurance of pardon. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever, because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. He will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Yes, it is true, we fail, and we fail, and we fail. But we're able to come to the Lord again and again to find that forgiveness, and as we have prayed, to find freedom for joyful obedience. And the way to do that is to pick up our cross and to follow him daily. Good morning. I invite you to turn in your Bible, if you have one, to Mark chapter 10. And as you're turning there, uh, Sarah reminded me or wanted to show me that last line that we just sang, the last two lines. Think that Jesus died to win thee, child of heaven, canst thou repine? And repine is to resist, right? Correct. So when we see the kindness of Jesus and all that he has done, all the words that he has said, for God's children, how can we resist? And we're going to hear about how God overcomes so much that would keep us from him. But as I said, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10 this morning, taking a little break from Hebrews, although I hope that I could draw some parallels when it comes to perseverance and following through with Jesus all the way. But let me read God's word to us and then lead us in prayer. So this is God's word from Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. And as he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. <clears throat> and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, 
There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Join with me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, these are wonderful words given to us that your, your Son spoke to your disciples. Help us now, Holy Spirit, to understand them, to believe them, that they would work deep down into our hearts, have its intended purpose of change in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So as I thought about this passage and I thought about the times that we're living in and how many of us perhaps are involved in hiring other people, perhaps you have hired someone before, gone through that process of a job interview, and in a way, you're hiring me, (laughs) you're interviewing me later today, and in my conversations with you and all these things, It's an interview in a sense. But when you interview someone, you are you want to know that they are able to do the job. You want to know that they are this person is trustworthy, that all the things that they put in their resume they actually accomplished and did. And uh, I even thought about a story that my dad told me once. He was hiring someone and What sealed the deal for him with this particular applicant was he quoted a line from a movie that he knew, and this movie I've never seen, it's called Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and he said, coffee's for closers. And what he meant by that was, (laughs) you don't get coffee unless you're closing as as a salesperson. And for my dad, that was what sealed the deal for him, that this was the employee to hire. But strangely, as this employee worked, he didn't turn out to be who he said he was going to be and and wasn't able to fulfill. So things are not always as they seem. And as we think about Jesus interacting with this person, we're going to see that Jesus sees, he sees through it. So we're going to look at kind of three main ideas, three sections this morning. And the big idea, what I want us to get and to remember, is that Jesus more than supplies what he calls us to give up. Jesus more than supplies what he calls us to give up. So this first section, verses 17 through 22, I'm going to call, A Good Man Meets Jesus. And I'll say this. Think of this as we all and Jesus' disciples are going out witnessing with Jesus. So right at the start, he says he sets out on a journey. Now, if you've been here for any length of time, you know that Pastor Jerry, when he begins his sermons, he, he's always taking us on a journey. So I'm here to say it's a very Christ-like thing that you do for us each week because that's what Jesus does. He's setting out on a journey, leading his disciples. And what seems to happen is this ultimate witnessing opportunity, an ultimate opportunity for evangelism. Because as they're setting out, this man runs up and asks him, kneels down, asks him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And you think about this. This man was eager. This was very dramatic. They were just about to head out of town. Maybe they had had a successful time of ministry in this particular area. And we might even say that it was just in the nick of time. You could see this happening, and then you could picture one of the disciples like nudging the other and saying, wow, this guy just made it. He just got to meet Jesus before we were heading out. And you know how we often are when we see God working in an amazing way. We're like, wow, God just worked that out perfectly. And I imagine that's what they're thinking about this opportunity, that this guy just made it in time, and he's down on his knees asking Jesus what's the good thing that he must do to have eternal life. Again, if, if Bob was with me or Lisa was with me on a Saturday in Annapolis and this happened, someone came down and asked about eternal life, 
we would be probably out of our minds. We'd be like, this is why it's been worth it all, all these different times that we've gone out there. But Jesus, seeing it, um, he says, time out, time out. First, he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. Now, this has confused people over the years. Some people have interpreted this to say that Jesus is denying that he is good. He's denying that he's God. No, that would be to misinterpret what he's saying. When in fact, Jesus is answering him on his own terms. One commentator said, if he had answered Jesus or if he had addressed him properly and believed in him, he, he would not have responded the way he did later. And that was convincing to me. But he answers him on his terms. At this point, this man does not recognize that Jesus is God. Therefore, he points this man to God and specifically to his commandments. He answers his question in a, in a wise way. And this is how he answers. He gives him more or less six of the Ten Commandments. And he does this because a law, the law is a mirror to our standing with God. In the Reformed Presbyterian tradition, we think about the law having different functions. One function is that it shows us our sin. It's, it's like a mirror, and it reveals that things are not all right between us and God. Uh, we also see that the law functions in society to restrain evil. So as we read this morning in the confession or the catechism question, the law is written on our hearts, and it keeps things from being as bad as they could possibly be in society. Now, you might think, that's not going too well. More and more people are resisting their conscience, and that happens, but we can still say things are not as bad as they could possibly be. But then we also have the law as a way, it's a guide. So once we become Christians, once we are declared righteous in God's sight, the law isn't taken away. It's taken away in terms of condemning us, but now we have it as a guide to live the way that God wants us to live, to reflect his character and in our interactions with other people. But Jesus quotes these different commandments, and amazingly, the young man replies that he has kept these all since he was a kid from his youth. But then Jesus raises the stakes, and it says that he looks at him and loves him. And I just want to stop right there for a moment and say that Jesus sees you, and he sees me. He sees inside your heart. He sees everything about you. And he knows by what's about to happen that this man is not all there. He, he is not really willing to follow Jesus and to do what he says, but yet he, he loves him. And wherever you are today, whatever your state of mind, whatever questions you have about God, I want you to know, and our church wants you to know, that this is, this is the place to be. This is the place to come with your questions. If you're not sure about your identity, if you're not sure about who God is, this is the place to be. We love you. We want to get to know you. We're not a bunch of know-it-alls. We're not a bunch of people who have arrived. But we are those, as we'll learn later in the passage, as those who have nothing to commend ourselves before God. But it's a righteousness that is not our own that we have, that we are accepted by God. And we want to tell other people about that. But Jesus looks at him and loves him, and he says, one thing you lack, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. He was not expecting that. His disciples were not expecting that. And before we go any further... Imagine if Jesus asked you to give up everything. Whatever it is that you have, your money, your status, your house, all these things, what if he wanted you to give it up? What is Jesus doing here? He said that he believed or he said that he followed these 
commandments, five through 10. But then he shows him in a loving way that he had missed the first four. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make a graven image and bow down to it. You shall not misuse, misuse the name of the Lord your God and remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. His wealth was greater and the object of his worship, the object of his comfort, the object of his ultimate identity. And at that moment, he was not willing to part with it. Verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He had great possessions, but perhaps it's more accurate to say his great possessions had a hold of him. They had a hold of him. And he had not kept those first four commandments. The God that he worshipped was money, and he was not willing to follow. Now, a question I have for you and for me is, are you and I still proclaiming our own goodness? By all accounts, if this man is your neighbor, you'd say, this is a good neighbor. This guy is a law-abiding citizen. This guy is helpful. This guy is a model citizen. And yet when Jesus asks a few questions, it's revealed who his God really is and what he's depending upon. He actually thinks that he can buy, he says there's something that he can do to find eternal life. Now, again, this is before the New Testament is written. They have the Old Testament. Scholars say that he was probably thinking of Daniel. And in Daniel, when it speaks about the resurrection and some raised to eternal life and others to everlasting contempt. So in a way, he's asking, how can I be a part of this resurrection? And even now, how can I enjoy life with God? So, are you counting on your riches, your backgrounds, your achievement to secure a place with God? Again, if I were to ask, I don't know, just about anybody in this area or in this county, do you think that you will be accepted by God? Do you think that you will go to heaven? Most would say, yes, I think so. And if you ask why, they would probably tell you, well, I'm, I'm a good person. I've never done anything really bad. I've never murdered anybody. Things like that. But Jesus lovingly shows that this man and also you and me have not kept these commandments the way that we should. We have not done the good work that is needed for eternal life. So, we need to put that aside, that we're good. Now, when I look around you, you are all good people, and I trust you, and I love you, and I want to get to know you better. But theologically and in our relationship with God, none of us is good. If we were good, then Jesus would not have had to come, live the life that he lived, died on the cross the way that he died, and rise from the dead. The cross even shows us that there is something that was needed that we could not fix ourselves. For this man, it was his money that he worshiped. And for us, it could be anything. It could be a video game. It could be anything. It could be your status. It could be athletic achievement. It could be the college that you went to or the college that you want to go to. It could be the things that are in your backyard, the things that are in your house. These are the things that we think will bring us happiness, eternal life, even though we may not use those terms. 
And one more question I want to ask. Are you amazed that Jesus would let this would-be follower walk away the way that he did? Again, if someone came up to me and asked that question in downtown Annapolis, boy, it would be hard to let that person walk away and go the way that he did. I would probably be finding anyway, like, hold on, hold on, let's talk this over. There's some misunderstanding. You're so close. So if you were amazed that Jesus would let this man walk away that way, you're not alone because the disciples felt the same way. So before the disciples speak, Jesus explains more about what it means to enter the kingdom. Look back with me at verse 23. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is for, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And that's what I want to focus on in this section. They ask a good question. Who then can be saved? If this man who was outwardly very righteous, well-respected in the community, if it's too much to follow Jesus to give away and give to the poor, and even on that note, sometimes those with wealth disdain the poor and look down on them. And you could imagine what a humbling experience this would be to sell all that you have and then give to the poor. Especially if we have preconceived notions about the poor, that they're lazy, they could have done something else that would have kept them from being in that position. And even this points us to what it's like in the kingdom, that it's not our wealth, it's not that we're better than anybody else, but that to enter the kingdom, we need Jesus just as much as anybody else does. The poor person, the rich person, every person in between. And even the previous passage that we didn't look at, when people were bringing their children to Jesus to bless them, and the disciples were trying to push them away, what did Jesus say? Don't hinder them. Let them come to me, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. I love how Jesus is always teaching his disciples. Everything he's doing, he's teaching them about the kingdom, about who really belongs. So who belongs? It's children who have nothing to offer, nothing to give, and Jesus is welcoming them. And he's saying, if you really want to be in my kingdom, give it all away and have nothing that's the way that we come before God and become part of his family, part of his kingdom. So why were they so amazed at Jesus' words? Well, maybe they were used to showing partiality to the rich. They might have thought, if this guy became a disciple, he could fund our missionary work for a long time. Maybe they were afraid of offending him. Or perhaps they thought, no one's going to follow Jesus if he keeps talking like that. He's a bad evangelist. <laughs> but it's fascinating. And, and uh, I won't say too much about it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle it's just how, how outlandish, how ridiculous to think of a camel going through the eye of a needle. Just, it's, our, it's an awesome, wonderful image. It's not going to happen. So they were astonished about this. But in verse 27, it says that Jesus looked at them. And it's actually the same word that Jesus used when he said that he looked, when he looked at the rich young man. And again, 
He sees the rich young man inside and out. He sees you and me inside and out with our honest, sincere questions about what it means to follow him and who belongs. And he says, with man, it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And again, if someone asks you the question, how did you become a Christian? You might lay out for them different people that you met, the different experiences that you had. But deep down, we can say, I don't know. God loved me. He opened my heart. He helped me to see that Jesus is what I need. He helped me to see that riches aren't everything. Riches don't buy ultimate happiness. He's the one who showed me that to belong to him, to be his child, is more valuable than anything. And there's no sacrifice too great that he would ask of me that would be more than what he did for me. We can say over and over again from Galatians 2.20, he loved me and gave himself for me. When we think about Jesus, our Savior. So he's able to overcome our hard hearts. He's able to overcome our love of stuff. He's able to overcome our love for entertainment, the ways that we often distract ourselves from facing the real things that we must face in life. He can do it. He can overcome our stubborn hearts. Even faith itself is a gift that we can't claim as our own, as coming from ourselves, as Ephesians 2 says. So we've got a good man, or a man who seemed to be good, and then we have a good question. Who then can be saved? Only by the grace of God. God doing the impossible. And then we have a good comfort. This is the last section. And it really gets to this idea that Jesus more than supplies whatever he calls us to give up. Verse 28, fittingly, it's Peter. He says, see, we have left everything and followed you. Again, they're not put off. They don't always understand what's going on. They, they often have questions, but they're, stir, they're still following. And by the grace of God, we're still following him. And Jesus gives these words of comfort. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. But he's honest with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus does call us to follow him and to give him everything. There is nothing that he can't ask from us that we could say, no, you can't. But we gladly do that because we know that he cares for us. And whether or not you grew up in this area or if you came from further away like I did, when we follow Jesus, there are blessings in this life as well as in the life to come. Yes, I like to go out and witness to people and talk to strangers who aren't Christians. Yes, I like to do ministry and this and that, but to come here on a Sunday morning and to be with you, to check in and see how things are going, to pray for you, to get a hug, to pray with you, all these things are wonderful. And, and this is the family that God has given to my family. I could say, even if Jesus didn't do anything else for me, I could see how he's given me so much more. To be with his people, to support and encourage me, and to experience all these things. Now, I thought about the Apostle Paul in Philippians, and when he wrote from the jail, and how he said, I know how to be content in plenty. I know how to be content when things are meager. Again, Paul had a long life of ministry, he probably found himself in nice houses at times. Think of Lydia 
in Philippi who was probably very wealthy, and she had them come over to his house, to her house. Remember, she said, if you judge me faithful, if you judge me to be a follower, come and stay with me. And Paul and his friends were able to stay and enjoy. So Paul experienced these wonderful things at times, I guess wonderful earthly blessings, but he was able to write from a jail, not a 21st century jail, a first century jail that was probably pretty rough. He was able to be content. But isn't it amazing that once we start to thank God for the things that he gives us, it completely changes our perspective. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my job. Thank you for my car. Thank you for my school. Thank you for my teachers. When you begin to orient things to God and all that he has given to you, it changes. We can be content. We can see all that God has given us. And we can say like Paul, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. To know him is greater and better than anything. And think of this wonderful verse from 2 Corinthians 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. When I think about the gospel ministry, I think about wanting to make people rich. Not rich in the way that you would think, but all the riches of the gospel are standing with God the wonders of knowing God, the wonders of being a part of his family, whether speaking to my brothers and sisters in the church or witnessing to others on the street, I want them to be rich. I want them to be rich in Jesus. I want them to see how amazing God is and his awesome generosity toward us, which makes us generous toward others, which makes us willing to not have to talk first about our accomplishments and all the things that we've done, but as it were to stoop down and talk with whoever brings across your path and to love them in Jesus' name, to listen to them, to value them, to look at them the way that Jesus looks at them. And it's because our riches don't consist ultimately in what we have in this world, but our riches consist in belonging to Jesus, knowing him and all that we have in him so that truly we can talk to anybody and we have something in common with everybody, made in God's image, loved by God, needing to know him, needing to be rescued and forgiven from our sins. So as we wrap it up and move to the table, what do we say in all these things? Do you see yourself in the rich young man? Are you the rich man or rich woman? Rich kid, curious about Jesus and what he can do for you, but unwilling to give him everything and follow him. Jesus still looks at you with love, and he asks you, will you deny yourself and follow him, or will you go away sad? I don't want you to go away sad. There's no reason to. Maybe you're not sure. In a way, that's a good place to be because with doubt on your own part, God can help you. If you're willing, if you say, I want to be willing to let go of everything and follow him, that's a good place to be. But don't go away sad. You don't have to. Or are you Peter? Speaking on behalf of Jesus, astonished by what he says and does, but yet still following. Hear those words of promise. Hear that God can overcome anything, that he can overcome stubbornness, that he can overcome perhaps areas of your life that are out of control. He can give you that self-control. He gives you his spirit for all that you need. Let his promise loosen your grip on this world and its pleasures. 
Rejoice in this new family that God has given you to walk with you in this life and in all eternity. Let's pray as we prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper. Thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you that you are so generous that you give us a meal and you invite us to the table. Prepare us now as we prepare to partake of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, this is the Lord's table. This is his wonderful meal that he gives to us to partake of and to enjoy. This meal is for those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ, who know that they need him, who know that at heart you and I are not good, but we need one who is good, who died in our place. And this is a meal that we partake of by faith so that Jesus can nourish our souls, so that we can be strengthened to live the way that he wants us to live and to live out that identity as God's people. If you are not a follower of Jesus or you aren't sure yet, at this time it's best to let the elements pass and use this time to pray. Put yourself in the place of the rich young man but come to him in humility. As it were, stay down on your knees and submit yourself to him. But if you recognize your need, even if the week that you've had was not great and you had your moments that were not so great, don't let that keep you from coming to Jesus and coming to his table that he offers to you. I'm gonna invite the officers to come who are gonna help, so we'll partake of the bread. They'll pass it around, and then we'll all partake together at the same time. Thank you, Father, for this meal that you provide. You gave us your son. You've given us everything. Thank you for this meal. In Jesus' name. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. As I, ministering in his name, give this bread to you, and Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. In the same manner, he also took the cup. And having given thanks, as has been done in his name, he gave it to the disciples, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the, for the remission of sins. Drink from it, all of you. Let's pray once again. Thank you, Jesus, for this meal. Thank you for the way that you nourish our faith and help us in our weakness. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for the promise of eternal life. All that we enjoy now in this life of suffering and persecutions, you give us so much. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive now God's parting blessing from 1 Thessalonians. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen.